Welcome back to the Recast and Reloaded show and Happy New Year. And I'll tell you what a way to start because on this episode, we have a close friend of ours, Jackson Hall. At such a young age, Jackson discovered a different way to break the surface when it came to being an effective outdoorsman. You'll hear all about Jackson's holistic outlook on the outdoors, him catching a once-in-a-lifetime fish, to rediscovering your true nature through nature itself. Been fishing and hunting since birth, but I think I want we we're going to talk more fishing because I see Jackson now kind of utilizing fishing as something for more more of a, a, a personal place to go and fish. I don't know, what would you say about that, Jackson? Like, like for you, where you started fishing, mm-hmm. how do you look at fishing now compared to how you did whenever you first started? Yeah, when I, when I first started fishing compared to now, uh, definitely a lot has changed. Uh, if I think about the first time like I ever touched a fishing rod, it just takes me back to a house I lived in. Uh, actually down the road from here where we're recording this and it was like a little spongebob fishing rod (laughs) and i think i had the little plastic piece on it tied on there that doesn't have a hook but you don't know that so you think you're you think every cast you're ready to just hook a freaking big in and little do you know until like a year later, like your dad's just got you set up with a decoy. You're expecting a sturgeon to buy it, but uh, I mean. Yeah, I, and there actually is a funny story about that that's now coming to my mind that I forgot about. Because my dad, my grandfather, my uncle, they grew up fishing on Lake Fork. And we were out on the pontoon boat one time. And I had that same little rod. rod and it was like a little yellow a perch looking thing it's just plastic yeah. and I remember a fish was holding onto that thing like it was and I was like I got one I got one and it came up to the side of the boat and it was a good sized bass at the time you know I thought it was like a 10 pound yeah. I was a little like world record <laughs> but you know Get it, had, it yeah. just had that thing stuck and I was like and then it came out I was like oh there's no hook in there yeah. but, you know so yeah. from an obvious standpoint I use hooks on my baits now <laughs> the first time, you know, it's like, but, uh, you know, really growing up fishing, it was just kind of became something that was so natural and second nature to me. Uh, I would always beg my dad to just grab the tackle box and go behind the house. I didn't really get to go that often when I was a kid, but, uh, did a lot of more hunting when I was younger. Uh, but then, yeah, as I got older, started, I think when I first started fishing more serious, hitting the ponds around the local communities and stuff was probably around fifth grade. Um, there's some different creek systems and stuff here in Arlington, Texas, where we live that I began, uh, fishing with a couple buddies, uh, of mine and that that's always where it seems to have started for most of the people we talk to and it, it it's always in the creeks oh, yeah. rush and, creek brush creek i mean even trent i mean even just going down to like the trinity river here and oh, yeah. the metroplex but have yeah. mom drop you off in the morning and dad pick you up on his way home from work yeah. <laughs> you know i guess and that's the thing too when in fifth grade we uh my family moved to this property we had a pond and then a neighbors had a pond and then there was two different creeks intersecting probably you know 
uh, a little under a quarter mile stretch of Rush Creek ran through that too. And then we would just run that for miles in either direction. And that's when I really started to see fish in their natural habitat and understand really the inner workings of like bass biology and like what was happening in the environment like the creeks and the ponds because that's when I got a pond so it was no longer like a pond I was just visiting it was like you know you're gifted your own pond Mm -hmm. I mean as a kid as a fisherman the ideas just start you know going wild I'm sitting in class instead of learning I'm drawing up how my I should design my pond oh I need to put a brush pile here I need to put some rocks (laughs) over here for the crawdad you know so I guess then I started looking at how it, it started to become a lot more than just fishing and like catching a fish and more about like how I could set myself up in a position to catch more fish and to like help build healthier populations of fish. Because isn't, isn't that what you wanted to go to college for too? Yeah, when Originally. I was a kid, like I wanted to go, I wanted to be like, uh, a fisheries biologist, you yeah. know, and like do that full time one day. Uh, I really, you know, just fell in love with the process and under and learning to understand it all. I actually went to a few camps with Texas Brigades. If anyone is familiar with that program, wonderful youth program, definitely check it out if you've never heard of it. There's also opportunities for uh, adults to become uh, mentors uh, for the kids too. So uh, it can be for all ages, and it's an incredible thing. I think they call it uh, a like a fisheries or wildlife biology degree in seven days. You wake up at like five a.m. and yeah. you study till like midnight, and so well that doesn't sound terrible. That's, that sounds like a pretty pretty good seven days. I oh mean, yeah, it's 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 tough. It's a lot of learning, but it's cool. And they have they have. I went to the bass one in like. I think I went to the bass one in like twenty. 10 or 2011 mm, yeah. you know and really learned a lot more about that and and met people in the industry because at the time it was like what I wanted to do so it was like hey you know let me hear from people that are in this in the day to day you know they do it they've been to school A&M was like the big school to go to yeah. for that so it was all like you know I was really wanting to do that but you know back to just like how I was designing this pond and fishing this pond all the time and stocking fish from lakes and in the creek and uh you know that's that's really where I fell in love with like so much more than just cast the catch yeah because it because I remember fishing oak trail court and it wasn't just going to catch a fish anymore in that place it was I mean we would get done with school and go roll moss for hours because we we wanted to 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 minimize that sort of foliage and and their ecosystem and and that's what we all what ended up happening a lot more was like okay we're gonna go we're gonna go catch some crawdads stock stock the tank we're gonna go fish here bring fish back to the tank and and that was always so cool just being able to do so much more than just go and fish it was like we could see these fish grow yeah. So for you, it kind of went from like a place of reel and catch, like you said, to conservationism and almost a botany approach. Yeah. Of just circling it back that whole time. Yeah, it was like I like catching fish, and my friends like catching fish. Yeah. So let's make my pond the best mm. setup to catch fish. Yeah. You know, and like 
create abundance of opportunity and that always circles back to conservation yeah. first whether you're talking hunting or fishing and that's why it all goes back to the environment that you know you're you're watering you know how are you how are you treating your land and how are you managing that for you know whatever species you're hunting be that, be that quail whitetail pronghorn elk mm -hmm. you know and and for fishing you know whether that be bass catfish bluegill uh just creating those ecosystems that complement species that allows the ecosystem to thrive symbiotically mm -hmm. um, and that's what a lot of people forget sometimes whenever you and this this definitely comes later on whenever you're fishing and hunting like what happened with you is you start to realize that you're going into a different world to go and catch fish and you're you're, you're taking that fish out of its world and whenever you really sit there and look at it as a whole like holistically is like okay I'm gonna throw this bait on this bed and I want it to look like whatever it like a, a injured crawdad injured bluegill and it needs to look like a big mac to us sometimes and and you really start to think about it oh yeah and it, it it's just a cool thought whenever they bite and then you work that fish on a bed for an hour and then he's like i just did that yeah i just, I just folded it. in it yeah. yeah well and the reason like i kind of bring up bed fishing is i was looking back on the the, the your pk first bedfish story that you sent me. So I asked Jackson to send me a story of a fish. And for the people that follow us on Instagram, that's what our Instagram comes from is other people's experiences. And they kind of just throw together a story and break the surface of rather than just us posting a picture yeah. of a fish. It's like, okay, what really happened? Or Shooting a deer. Yeah. What give really happened? Real yeah, yeah, give us the rundown. And I asked Jackson, I'm like, hey, can you send me a, a quick rundown on a, on a fish you caught? And he goes, oh, I have the perfect one. Sends me a <laughs> five-page Word document. And, I mean, I, I couldn't post that, but I, I'm going to – I'll probably link that to the podcast here today because it, it, it is phenomenal how in-depth Jackson goes on – on what it took to catch that fish and the sequences leading up to it yeah. and yeah I mean and, that's an outline of the outlines yeah if Instagram allowed it to be that long it would be perfect <laughs> yeah <laughs> it would be perfect but, but just what, the way it is yeah and then mm -hmm. that's why I was super excited to have Jackson come and, and talk about his experiences in fishing in the outdoors because not a lot of people look at it the way you do and that's a lot of things in, in, in our personal lives and, and business lives. You just have a different mindset when it comes to things. Has your, has your mindset changed throughout the years of the way you look at hunting and fishing? Oh, yeah. It's, it's always evolving, you know, and that's something that I go back to. You know, the, the bass are evolving. We're evolving. You know, we're always getting smarter and figuring out ways to – the bass are figuring out ways to constantly avoid being caught. We're constantly figuring out ways to catch them. And same with deer, you know, it's like we're in this constant cat and mouse game. But when you really think about it at its deepest level as humans, like we are really just in this game with nature that we come from the same soils that these animals in the same waters that these fish swim in. So it's like it brings you honestly back 
to like an ancestral place within your being that you are actively engaging in something that has been done for hundreds of thousands of years. 100%. But now we just could use live scope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, there's a lot more science to it. Yeah. Now, you know, we're not yeah. going out with a spear and we're not just uh, using little nets woven out of a str- you know, string to, to catch these fish. But sometimes it's you don't need to reinvent the wheel. And it's perfectly often. Well, that's like a primal experience. Yeah. You know, yeah. it feels good. I mean, yeah, to go back to those methods mm-hmm. is cool too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. You see those guys that go out and they're catching fish the way uh, people overseas catch fish and stuff like that. It's just a whole different ball game. Like using just a yeah. like cane pole and a piece of string. You yeah. know, I think that's like that's one of the biggest things I think that's evolved in my mindset in general, but especially with like fishing is that like it you you can make it as complex as you want it. But then eventually you come back around to the simplicity mm-hmm. of like throwing a damn spinner bait and it being <laughs> like the best bait. It's like yeah. so often you can catch yourself getting sold. That's what fishing lures are meant to do. That's what these industries are built on is selling a hunter or fisherman a product. Nothing against the companies and the marketing psychology behind that. That's awesome. But really at the end of the day you you just need the basics you know it's like you don't have to have some crazy camo that you know makes you invisible or something and puts out a certain odor you know it could just be your that old pair of uh overalls that your grandpa handed down to you and if you you look at the camos right now it's just it's been a full circle now now the, yeah, the old the, 40s duck camo yeah. is coming back around. Yeah. The, the <laughs> trending camo. Yeah. And the thing is, it, it works. Yeah. I think there's something to say about the mojo behind the gear you're using, you know? Yeah. It's like, I know there's those guys out there that, and I even have some of the same things in my arsenal of like, you still have that one rod that's got cork falling off of it just because mm-hmm. it's your lucky rod. Mm-hmm. And you're going to use that thing till it wears yeah. out. Well, you look at fishermen in general, even professionals and just your day-to-day weekend angler, each boat or each person has their bait. I mean, for me, Jackson, what is it? Hags Tornado. Hags Tornado. Trophy Hunter. T-Rig. I'll throw that year-round. I'll always have that tied on. Or a popper. Lake Fork Trophy Lures, Yellow Magic. Um... And if you look at the pros, like like Dean Rojas, he's a frog. I mean, Skeet Reese, just look at those guys. And But it it all comes back to simplicity, like yeah. you said, and confidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But one thing that didn't seem so simple that you did recently was your Hawaii trip. Yeah. On the bonefish trip yeah. with the fly. What would you say about that trip? How Was that probably one of the hardest fish you, you caught? I would say that overall, or was it as simple, was, or was it simple? I mean, it was it was definitely hard. It was a difficult thing because, you know, a buddy of mine invited me down uh, to go bone fishing in Hawaii, and I did a little bit of research. And basically, all the research I did prior to going into this trip was like, Hawaiian bonefish are the hardest bonefish to catch in the world. <laughs> you have to be an elite fly fishing angler. <laughs> you have to have a guide, like. You will not catch a fish if you do not have a guide or you are not really, really dialed on your fly fishing. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, 
oh, it's just a bonefish, and there's a lot of them. Like, surely if I put my fly in front of them enough times in five days of fishing, like, I'll catch one of these things. Like, it, I know enough about fish. You know, I've lived and breathed this my whole life. Mm-hmm. I, I can quickly pick up on the hints. But, you know, after, like, three days... And I haven't even hooked one of these things, nor has my buddy that has been fly fishing for years. We were really getting down on ourselves. You know? Like, you would, you would like see one of these bonefish maybe like tailing 75 yards from you. And you'd be like, oh, there's one. And as soon as you see that tail, like, you got to start walking in like ankle to knee deep water, but you got to move slow. And during that process, like, you might lose sight of that fish and he might be gone and another one might pop up. So you're constantly attuned to your environment. Like you are really looking for these tails and you know, you do all that, especially if it's a big one and you really don't want to blow it. Like you're stalking these flats to approach these bonefish in the right way. And obviously I'm not, I didn't know how to exactly approach these, but I knew, you know, probably quietly. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But I've heard, and I may get this, the exact fact on this wrong, but like a boat, like a big, big bonefish that's like mature can sense you from like a half mile away or something. Like, Holy Like if you're on the flat, like chances are the big bonefish knows like there. they can sense like through their, like, and that's crazy. So it's like, and from what I heard from some Hawaiian guys we talked to, like the bonefish in Hawaii are like just stupid smart, like if you go elsewhere like they're they're usually easier to catch and you know granted we we tried and we woke up every morning at we were at the crack of dawn we kayaked like half mile out to these flats it was awesome getting to learn these fish and finally starting to put clues together as to like okay what type of what are they eating how can we replicate that you know what's the best method to try to hook one of these things and we eventually discovered that there was a whole other flat, like, that we didn't even fish the first three days, yeah. or the first two days, I guess. And the third day, we went to that flat, and we walked up on it. We pulled our kayaks up on this, like, coral, like, this rocky coral shelf that dropped off to, like, 90 foot on one side, and then it was, like, less than a foot on the top. And there was, like, an old sailboat kind of, like, falling over right there. It was really cool, and the wind was kind of blowing right across it onto like this massive flat and turns out this flat is like i don't even know how big like maybe like 20 football fields or something you know like it's a huge flat. (laughs) the other flats are dwarfed by the size of this flat and we were like we didn't even know this one was here. Yeah. <laughs> and so we rolled up on that and we started walking and we started seeing like five to seven pound bonefish like left and right. Like and what's, what's, what's a big bonefish? Yeah, like I think like a really big bonefish is, a big bonefish is probably three pounds plus. Like yeah. if you were to compare it to bass, and I mean, I'm not the fly expert here. Yeah. All I'm gonna, all I'm speaking from is just from what I've heard from guys. So if I get this wrong, uh, you know, don't come at me for it. It's like, uh, like a six or seven pound bonefish is your equivalent to like a teener for largemouth. Yeah. Okay. So like you're seeing world-class fish and we saw a bonefish 
that was probably 12 to 14 pounds. Oh my. It looked like Lord. a tarpon. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like a tarpon. <laughs> and I saw it like three foot from me, and I said, Was that a bonefish to my buddy? And then he was like, I didn't see it. And then he saw it later, and he was like, I saw a 14 pound bonefish. And apparently, the world record bonefish was caught on that flat, and it's like 14 pounds That's if you look crazy. it up. Like, Holy and it was caught on that flat in Honolulu. It's called the Triangle Flats. I'm curious. I'd imagine that those like fish take up residency there and they don't leave. There wouldn't yeah. be because they're flat fish. That, they yeah. they live there. They come. The reason why I think there's so many big ones there is because the deep water's right there, and they come up and feed, and then they drop back yeah. down. So what I did figure out toward the end when I started putting some things together was that on a really high tide, it was way it was hard to locate fish. Like you could see them. They had so much more water to roam. And you were dredging more water. It took longer to get around. Mm-hmm. One evening, I was in one spot, and there was like probably seven bonefish around me, all record size, you know, like six, seven pound bonefish. Couldn't catch any of them, and it was too dark to really see where I was presenting my fly. But it was just crazy. I was like letting it soak in. I was like, I mean, I'm surrounded by all these like record size yeah. bonefish. I can't yeah. catch one, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> like their tails are like rising out of the water, yeah. and because they're, they're just digging around in the mud. What they feed on, because these are mud flats predominantly, with mangroves. But the mangroves have been cut by the FAA because it's next to the airport in Honolulu. Oh, and the yeah. birds were roosting in it. Mm-hmm. So the birds were causing pro- potential problems for planes, right? Yeah. So they cut all the mangroves. So in the videos you watch a lot of times mm-hmm. of these flats, there's mangroves. But now they're all cut, which is kind of sad. There's one flat that has a little bit of them. Mm-hmm. So I know that probably is not helping like with how the health of the fishery right there. But anyway, yeah. there's a bunch of big ones there. They eat crabs. Like I heard down in like Cozumel or something, mm-hmm. they're eating shrimp. So I bought like $140 worth of shrimp flies. <laughs> they do not like this. And literally yeah. I go to the fly shop and the guy at the fly shop to- tells me, he goes, Literally, they just want they want something drab here. Drab, he, drab, like just no color. He's oh, like yeah. no color, yeah. no sparkles, no nothing. Just drab and small. And I was like, like any of these? He's like, no. Like <laughs> all of those, the fish will run the opposite direction of these flies here. And I was like, well, I've been throwing that one for two days. So let's not throw that one. Uh, so. Once we kind of learned that, we were like, okay, that makes sense. And he was like even talking about coloring the hooks and stuff. Because these bonefish, especially the bigger ones, they've been caught before. Mm-hmm. And they've even been like, people go out there and like spear them and stuff, I think. So these bonefish are spooky. But they'll like study your fly. Like they know. They can really tell the difference. I've heard that if you feel the bite, you're already too late. Yeah, that's... Is, is that a fact? or was it I, I can't prove that because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that... Well, you did. So, you did catch one. Yes. Yeah, let's get to that. So, I did catch (laughs) one. I was looking forward to that. I did catch one. Mm -hmm. On the third day, Uh. we were walking down the edge of the big flat we found, and it was on a, it was on a, a falling tide. So, on the falling tide, all the water that was up in the, like, the dead mangroves and stuff, and on the flat, all the bonefish started pushing out to deeper water. So, when you're walking... It's like fish are just funneling. It's like fishing a bridge if you're bass fishing, like a funnel, like in the creek, in the free spawn. So the fish are coming to us. So actively from our left off the flat to the right, where the deep water is, 
there's just new fish popping up. Like, and we are just walking this flat and we have our polarized glasses and like our, our, we're like really dialed in with our hoods up and everything. And so we're just watching to see, and we were even having these bonefish like swimming directly at us. So you'd see one and like, we'd choose who would present it. Like, Oh, if you spot it, you get to present it. So I saw one and like, I think my buddy was trying to throw in another one, but I saw this and he wasn't a huge one, but he was a, you know, a decent one. And he was coming at me and like, I just dropped this little fly right there in front of him. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we're talking third day. I've done this so many times. At this yeah. point, I'm hopeless. Like, I'll never get one of these things to bite. And this thing just noses right down on it and just sucks it up. And then I'm just like, I'm like, and then it's like, out of the deep water. And I'm just like, rod tip up, rod tip up. Like, I'm like holding this. I'm, I'm running toward the edge because this coral is so sharp along oh, this man. edge. And it's just like, and that's what they do when you hook them. They run. And this was not even a. This wasn't even really that big of one, you know. Yes. I mean, I think he was maybe 16, 17 inches long, and still just zipping you. So oh, I think yeah. they're the fastest fish in the world, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, or at least flats fish. That's all next to like the wahoo. But so we hooked one, and we both got so hyped because this was three days of. <laughs> gone till dusk on these flats trying to figure out these bonefish so at the end of the day you know i i caught a bonefish without a guide on my first ever ocean like saltwater fly fishing trip on a eight weight never having thrown an eight weight before so i'm pretty happy with the outcome yeah. i got one yeah. you know and now if i go to cozumel apparently i'll be spoiled because yeah. it's not as difficult as a while. <laughs> Would you say that's your most rewarding fishing experience? Um, or do you have anything else that kind of tops that? Uh, that was a fun trip, all in all. Um, and that was definitely a very rewarding experience. I'm trying to think if there's definitely been a lot of fish in the boat. I mean, in mm -hmm. terms of probably the most work I've had to do for a fish mm -hmm. to earn a fish, definitely that trip. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, whenever, because your buddy you keep talking about is Troy Stewart. Yeah. TS Outdoors. Whenever he came to you and said, "Hey, you want to go you want to go bone fishing in Hawaii?" Was it pretty simple to go do that? Or like just the planning to get to Hawaii to bone fish? Obviously the hard part was catching yeah. the bonefish, but what what did that look like for y'all? What is what is licensing licensing in Hawaii look like? Do you have to have a license? If I'm not mistaken, I don't think you have to have a license. But I don't want to be on the... I mean... I looked it up, but I think it was Hawaii one of those things where... like we looked it up and we were like, oh, it's like you don't... And I say that just because I, I don't remember carrying anything on me that like showed my licensing. Yeah. And I could be wrong on that one detail. There and this was on Honolulu. This was Honolulu, uh, uh, the island of Oahu. But and if you have to have a fishing license, you actually didn't catch that bonefish, did you? But you know, overall, it was you know, the flight over there, pretty long flight. The flight is the pricier side, mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, if you don't have any of the fly fishing gear, that got a little pricey too. Yeah. I didn't have an eight weight. I didn't have a, a reel, uh, but I made a good investment. And yeah, that's one of the, it for my life. Yeah, that's one of those incurred costs where you really don't have yeah. to do it again. Did yeah, you have to ship have it? Rod. Did you no, have to we ship carried it? it on. You okay. carry like a little tube and then just put your reel in like your bag and carry on. Uh, you know, we got like a little Airbnb thing. Uh, I think we learned a lesson about that. I mean, it was, we were trying to do it budget, but there was like a parking garage and we didn't know you had to pay for the parking garage and that ended up being really expensive. So it was like <laughs> a really cheap place, but hey, yeah. you got to park in the parking garage and this is how much you have to pay. <laughs> no. It was like 200 plus dollars and we had two kayaks in the back. Yeah, no, and no. that was funny because we had to run to the other side of the island the day we got there and buy like a little like, we got to this hardware store like with five minutes left and we we're like, we need to make like a lock, you know, like a bike lock mm -hmm. for our kayaks. And like the bike locks they had wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. So we literally fabricated one out of steel cabling and, and crimps and then bought like a master lock. And the guy, Jim, at the hardware store in Hawaii, he was like, he was like, here's the locks. And I picked up the smallest, <laughs> cheapest lock. It's like two ninety nine, And he goes... That one really? I'm like, Jim, like, we're not gonna, we're here for like five days. He was like, but there's all these better, bigger locks. Like, why this tiny one? Like, this. I was like, dude, this is what we gotta yeah, do, Jim. Yeah. So he got that lock, got our kayaks locked up, and we were on, we were good to go. Yeah, so then after that, is like just getting there, Airbnb, renting a vehicle. Yeah, renting a vehicle. Got the yaks, and at that point, you're just fishing for five days. Did y'all wing it, or y'all had that all planned out? Yeah, we had it planned out. Oh, okay. <laughs> and Troy's pretty good at getting that all planned out. I picked up the, I I Ubered from the airport straight to pick up the car that we had like a little Tacoma truck, mm -hmm. and it was perfect for hauling around the yaks. Oh, and yeah, you know, on perfect. a trip like that, or any of these type of traveling experiences, I've done a fair amount of them, but not a ton. But it's just, you know know that things are probably not going to go exactly as planned always <laughs> and just like understand that like you'll things will work out and like you'll find the answer or like Improvise. the right person will show up to like help you along in the way like and don't overthink it don't overstress it mm -hmm. they'll show you not to not to throw them sparkly flies at this bone fish yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah always be picking up any clues that people drop down for you yeah well it's like to that point too i mean Use your resources that people when people already know what to do on what you're trying to do, and that's with anything. Is just it's not word of mouth. Yeah, just I mean, most people already know how to build the clock. Just let them tell you the time. I use that analogy a lot, and just all you got to do is just ask. Worst thing, worst thing they can yeah. do is say no, or well, start saying that, but. And again, you get into doc talk and tournaments. Yeah, so. <laughs> I think that's a yeah. Doc talk is kind of a different deal than going to a place that's new, mm -hmm. hunting and fishing. You need to pick up some local. You need to pick up some knowledge, versus you know just you got a tournament on a lake and you're going down and talking to the guy that just pulled up. I think there's two differences there for definitely. information, but definitely when you're in those experiences, like where you actively are really searching authentically for information and you ask someone with that authenticity, you know, it's like, just humble yourself and just listen to what they tell you, you know? It's like, you could be an expert in that, and there's always, you know, the the best hunters and the best hunters and fishermen, like, 
they're always constantly learning. They're like a sponge and they're constantly listening to what's going on around them. They don't always take it as truth until they test it, but they're always asking. They're always, their ears are always open to hearing what people are talking about around them because you never know when that little nugget of information could come in or you just hear something and it helps you put a puzzle piece in place on your board that you've been looking for for years or maybe you've been close to but that person says one thing and it's like ah that makes sense i thought the same thing yeah well i mean you look at professionals like top of the line meat eater for instance i mean you if there's one person that probably knows more about hunting or fishing than anybody it's probably him but he's not done yet i mean there's a reason he's got a has a thousand podcasts thousand tv shows is is you there's never a cap to how you evolve in the outdoor realm. No, there's nothing million cross applies to anyone, even myself, like getting into this later in life, obviously. I mean, going duck hunting with Troy last week, not even a week ago. Yeah. I mean, I've probably learned a hundred things in a five hour time span. And yeah. it's just like, you just grow. It's a snowball. It just keeps rolling and rolling. And it's growth. Yeah, like you're saying, even from me starting nowhere, people even lower than me, up to Stephen Rinella. You know, it's just constant, continuous growth. And I feel like that's something rewarding in this sphere that a lot of people outside of it don't really recognize that's drawn me into it a lot more. I feel like you would obviously agree. Yeah, I I love that. And I love that you noticed that. And it's all about, like, the growth mindset and Mm -hmm. continually, like, because nature has so much more to teach us than, you know, we can learn in books and in science. You know, mm-hmm. it's like being out in nature, on the lake or in the woods. And, you know, it's it's never been about hunting and fishing. It's always been about getting back to our roots, like in the mm-hmm. land and back to nature. And Experience. Yeah. Experience in the outdoors, yeah. baby. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Well, I guess that kind of leads into another thing that you're doing now and in, in your life so hunted since birth took the fishing route collegially on a tournament scale me and you fish together and now with what you do now if you want to explain what you do now with with live thrivingly yeah. podcast how do you think where you're at now with that kind of piggybacked off of maybe fishing in the outdoors and looking at things on a different a different in a different vision than we would typically yeah yeah I, I, I think there's a lot of like commonalities in like what I'm really doing with my with my work at the moment now with uh, my podcast and brand that I'm kind of building up called Live Thrivingly with really a focus on uh, holistic lifestyle and, uh, you know, just accessing um, greater potentials um, for ourselves and that I believe, you know, we can all unlock greater potentials uh, within ourselves and like it's our birthright to do that and Live Thrivingly's mission is really about you know, helping people uncover those. And I think coming from my hunting and fishing background and that constant growth mindset as a kid and just constantly seeking to sponge up more and see things from a different angle, you know, but also just being in nature 
because my logo for Live Thrivingly is a banyan tree, and a banyan tree, you know, they grow thousands of years old and have all these root systems coming down. So there's so many aspects of the banyan tree, and it becomes this wise tree. And, you know, I so, you know, with hunting and fishing, it's like being in nature and really, like, learning that there's a language beyond words that you're getting from animals and from the plants, from the trees, from even the rocks and everything around you in these these environments you're in that teach you something about yourself as a human being that you don't learn in school. Mm-hmm. You're not. You, they don't teach this in in um, you know growing up in elementary school and stuff in lower education. They don't teach this in college. I mean, you can teach the theory of it all you want. But to experience it and to begin to know it and feel the sensations in your body that you're brought in the outdoors is what really, I feel like, grounds you in the fact that, you know, you're a human being. Well, and, like, coming off of that is one thing a lot of people have always heard and a lot of people always said that is actually one of the biggest lies out there is knowledge is power. Mm. Knowledge isn't power, it's utilizing that knowledge that's what makes you powerful you could you could read you could learn whatever it is you're trying to discover but the application of that knowledge yeah if you don't apply it and that that goes with live thrivingly and then Mm -hmm. rcrl um to an extent we're hoping at rcrl we can let people re-experience the outdoors and for you it seems like you want them to rediscover themselves. Yeah, exactly. And the, like a method for that is getting back to the out, getting back into nature and the outdoors in any way possible, you know, like, like for one person it might be hunting for one person it might be fishing for another person. It might be walking outside and walking down, you know, the, uh, path in their neighborhood and yeah. you know looking at the trees hearing take, the birds take, like, taking your shoes off and yeah putting taking your, your shoes off your feet in the sand yeah. Yeah. putting your feet yeah. back in the earth you know yeah. like we were meant to do like our ancestors did and uh there's a lot of wisdom to heed from that and it it's beyond the level of the mind you know you don't have to overthink it just start trying it out and seeing the difference you feel you know mm-hmm. you wonder why these native cultures walked around with leather soled shoes or no shoes at all they're very connected to the land and this creates a very it creates vitality and health within the human being so that you're able to fend off diseases and you're able to hunt and continue to you know build your tribe and continue your species on so it's like it's definitely all connected and all these things can loop back absolutely i mean yeah even piggybacking off that everyone going through like COVID, everyone stayed inside yeah me specifically i mean Throughout the years, I'd play Call of Duty, stay inside. <laughs> it's just a good time. Throw my headset on and then not have to do anything. Rolling into that, becoming more of an outdoorsman to an extent myself, and just seeing like the quality of life change of me just going out and standing on a boat for two and a half hours compared to me sitting in a dark room with a headset screaming at people, it's night and day. Like you just One, it's healthier. Two, it just feels good. You feel a sense of connection, connection to the earth. It's that primal, even that like primal feeling. Oh yeah. And I feel like 
for me going to that place and a lot of people are still in that work from home mindset I want to stay home I want to do this and you're the perfect like shining example of where you can go and like connect with that I feel like that's just awesome yeah Mm -hmm. thanks for sharing that man and it's yeah, on one hand, I've been the person that has worked at home too, you know, and I spend a lot of time in like, you know, cognitive capacities and like mm-hmm. mental, like just really working from the mind and a lot of my work with Live Thrivingly and just, you know, coming back down to the point of like application of knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. like Josh was just talking about, it's like integration of knowledge and like you, you can read all the books, you can listen to all the podcasts, mm-hmm. you can uh you know get all the degrees and and the titles you want but it's about how you're applying that knowledge Mm -hmm. in your life you know about how you're implying what you're learning to be a better hunter a better fisherman a better friend a better you know partner and 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 getting past the for lack of a better statement like getting past the 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 group message where Mm -hmm. like whenever i say it like that it's like for a lot of our listeners, I'm sure people are going to listen to what we say, but we're not just having these conversations in hopes you're going to listen to them. Yeah, that that's a plus. We, we hope you listen to them, but we hope that you take what we say, maybe just with a grain of salt, but you go and you, you get into academy, you buy a rod, and you actually go fishing, or... It inspires you to go catch a bonefish. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I kind of want to catch one now. Yeah. See how <laughs> hard it is. Yeah, no, yeah. Exactly. And, like, that, that's the whole thing. And, um, but, like, Jackson, yeah, thanks thanks for sharing that. That's, that, that's great. Um, y'all got any more questions before we, we pop the question? I mean, I feel like piggybacking off, again, both what y'all just said, the constant stimuli of just everyday life. Me trying to sell a house, y'all trying to push some roofs. Hunter doing just trade work like a mother. <laughs> <laughs> Anything I can get my hands yeah. on. It's just going out there and like I said, either being in that duck blind, just sitting on a boat, even just standing beside a pond. You know, you can shut everything off and focus on just being in the moment. And I feel like that's really what will just start drawing a lot more people into this lifestyle once they like take a step forward and recognize what it is. Mm-hmm. That, that was solid yeah, right there. Thank you so much for yeah. sharing your perspective. And I think mm-hmm. you're so right. I think like the outdoors is such like it's the antidote for a lot of mental health problems we see in this mm-hmm. day and age. And just even not on that, just you know, we life's tough out there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and working and all that stuff. And it's like you gotta have a sanctuary and mm-hmm. you know nature's right there for you and oftentimes it's overlooked and you know just just get in the nature any way you can you know yeah you gotta find that sanctuary i I remember as a kid i i got an xbox because everybody had an xbox and uh played games for two days figured out that was not my gig and (laughs) i sold it i literally sold it back to gamestop my mom took me to Cabela's. I bought a twenty-two long raffle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Next day, I was shooting turtles out of a pond. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's cool. So, so Jackson, whenever it comes to, whenever it comes to fishing, what's your why 
to get out there, start the boat, and try to go catch a fish. My wife or or just being in that water. Or just being in the outdoors. Yeah, my wife or being in the outdoors uh, has definitely shifted throughout my life. You know, it's like the whole thing we kind of started with about just that evolution of as an outdoorsman. Uh, I would say at this moment, my why for going at, into the outdoors is to experience the beauty of nature and all the living plants and animals that have been put on this earth for us to experience and, and, you know, actively get to, uh, see how they interact with each other and, and myself included, you know, it's like if you're ever five foot from a deer staring it in the eye, you know, something different's happening in there, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's a different experience and to, to recognize like that getting back into the outdoors and being on the water or being in the stand or being on the side of a mountain is like taking me back to my roots, um, as a human being. And I think that's what it, it grounds me back into myself. Yeah. And that's, I think that's at this point in time, really what gets me back out into the outdoors. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. And the past couple of times we've gone to the ranch together recently, it was always, we have stuff going on. We get to the ranch, spend the time there. And then we just leave and we talk about it afterwards. Like, man, we just, you feel cleansed. You do. And then you just get to hit, get to hit a reset because you're able to ground in, in, in that kind of safe space, which is, for me, is sitting in a deer, deer blind or si- sitting in a boat. Yeah, um, and I, I think it's something that was overlooked as a, when I was a kid, you know. But mm-hmm. as it as it would be for many, I mean, you're just you're not necessarily really pondering deep life questions a lot <laughs> as a kid. You know, you're just kind of yeah. like running all around, like yeah. you know, shooting hogs and rabbits and stuff. And it's like now squirrels it's like, for Dakota. Yeah, it's like you, yeah, you <laughs> come around. Yeah, roadkill baby. <laughs> you come around to this like evolution as an outdoorsman, and you're like, it's so much more philosophical, and it's like you see all the connections to it and you recognize why you loved it so much as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I feel like really my intentions now is to really step back into that childlike wonder and experience the outdoors as I did as a kid, instead of sitting out there wondering, Oh, you know, I only have a day left. I got to go back into work or thinking about everything that's wrong in my life in that moment, instead of getting still and realizing like Lao Tzu says that stillness reveals the power of eternity and when you're in the stand in West Texas on, you know, a couple thousand acres and it is pure stillness and it's like 28 degrees outside and you're sitting in the stand. I mean, you don't have to be someone that meditates to know that that is meditation. Like, yeah, it, it finds you. It it greets you right there. Like. You might not even know that you've been doing meditation if you've been in that place, but that That's is it. the essence of meditation. Oh, definitely. Man, so for some of our listeners, um, where can they find you, Jackson? Yeah, so you can find me 
um, through through RCRL, you can always uh, contact Josh, Dakota, Hunter uh, to get through to me. You can also find me uh, Live Thrivingly on Instagram. Uh, I'm getting that uh, social media going for my brand there. Uh, I have a podcast, the Live Thrivingly podcast. Uh, definitely invite you to check it out. I'm gonna have a lot of cool content uh, coming up soon uh, from a lot of different perspectives and angles and I think uh, y'all would probably enjoy listening to some episodes you know if you're about you know improving yourself in any way because you know we're all able to access greater versions of ourselves. it's not out of grasp for us complacency is is death yeah continue to grow that was my that's my 2023 uh like um that. uh my, my saying this year is mm-hmm. is the year of growth. I mean, it's like the 13-pound the bass didn't get 13 pounds by just, you know, sitting around figuring out, just eating frogs, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he figured out how to eat other things. He figured out how to, how to adapt. And I think adapt is a huge word. And we've really, we've really learned how to adapt the past uh, two years, you know, with COVID and everything. And 2023 mm-hmm. is definitely, definitely setting up mm-hmm. as a huge year for growth. Mm-hmm. Get out there, challenge yourself, do new things, put yourself outside of your comfort zone, and learn that that's where growth happens. What a line. What a line.